listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. and welcome to episode number two of Footprints on Our Hearts. In this episode, I talked to Ian Twitchett about his daughter Pippa, who passed away when she was four and a half months old. Pippa has a twin sister, Penny, and one thing that struck me when talking to Ian was how complex your grief journey must be when you have a living reminder of the child you've lost with you every single day. We talk about the roller coaster of having preemie twins, dealing with neonatal death, and about how Ian and his wife Hannah experienced grief, as well as Ian's role on the parent advisory group for the National Bereavement Care Pathway, which is an initiative here in the UK to help support and improve support for parents who experience baby loss. So that's coming up. One thing I wanted to do in these introductions to the podcasts was to share any news, resources, or information relating to baby loss that I think you might find useful. And as it happens, I'm recording this um, the day before it goes out, so on Thursday the 6th of February 2020. And actually, on this day, stillbirth is or has been debated in the House of Commons here in the UK. Um, And it was a discussion on historic stillbirth burials and cremations, which was raised by Carolyn Harris, the MP for Swansea East, who gave a really emotional speech about her mother's experience of stillbirth in 1958. And this was back in the days when if you had a stillbirth or a miscarriage, your child was essentially taken away from you straight away and either buried or cremated and you weren't told where where your child was. And this practice, I think, continued in the UK up until the mid-1980s. And I'll link to a video of her speech and the article in the show notes. Um, and I have to admit, I got a bit emotional listening to it, not just because of the horror of that loss and her experience, but because her mother was never able to properly grieve for her daughter. She had no way of processing what had happened to her. um, And no, you know, she didn't have um, a place to go, a grave to look at, or anything like that. And I know things aren't perfect now in many hospitals, but it did remind me how much better we are treated now than in the past. At least we do get the option to hold our babies, to spend time with them, to, to create memories and to remember them. And that is something that's been denied to many people in the past. The other thing that was um, she mentioned, I'm not sure she actually mentioned this in speech or I will link to the article anyway, is um, an organisation, a not-for-profit organisation who work to trace the resting places of stillborn babies Um, and work with the parents to help them do that. The organisation is called Brief Lives Remembered, and I will also link to that in the show notes. Um, And again, I think I I never knew this organisation existed, but I can see how there is a need for it in terms of helping parents to kind of perhaps take a step further on in their grief journey 
And I guess even, you know, accepting and and being able to talk about what happened to them, because historically, baby loss is something, as we know, that wasn't really talked about at all. So coming back to the debate that's been going on today in the House of Commons, um, there is a full published report of all debates in the House of Commons, which goes up online, the Hansard documents. But as this has just taken place today, the report isn't up. So I don't know what the outcomes of that debate was. But I do feel that it's a really positive step that this issue was discussed and recognised and talked about um, in the workings of UK government. And I also wanted to remind people that the support provided by SANS and other organisations is available to anyone who's lost a child at any point. And if you're listening to this and you perhaps know someone who lost a child decades ago, you know, you might have a mother, grandmother, and perhaps they struggle to talk about it, but you think it might be helpful for them to talk to someone about it they can still access that bereavement support. It's it's available to anyone who's lost a child. And let's face it, grief doesn't just go away, does it? It often comes back at a later time to bite you in the butt. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention that today in case people hadn't seen it and found it useful. I hope it was interesting at least. Okay, let's get on with the interview. So just a reminder that if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could take five minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes or your podcast app to help other people find it. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts, Twitter at Sky's Footprints, or you can email me at Alison at footprintsonourhearts.com. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Ian, our first but hopefully not the last baby lost dad. Welcome to the show, Ian. Hello. Could you start by briefly introducing yourself and your family for us? Sure. Um, so I'm Ian. Uh, I live in Leeds with my wife Hannah. Um, I have two children, Evelyn, who's six, and Penelope, who's now two. Uh, Penny's a surviving twin. Um, she's born alongside her twin sister, Pippa, on August 15th, 2017. Um, they were born 10 weeks premature. Uh, Penny weighed 977 grams and Pippa only 726 grams. Um, due to quite a complicated pregnancy, shall we say, the decision was made to deliver them um, at 30 weeks uh, just to give them the best chance. And with Pippa being the smaller twin, it was predicted that she'd have a bit of a, a tougher battle. Um, they spent four weeks in Sheffield where they were born um, and then spent a further four weeks uh, at St. James's in Leeds, so we were a little bit closer to home. Um, we had a relatively straightforward neonatal journey, I would say. It was um, up and down, as, as, as we were told it would be, but there was no, nothing serious. There was no surgeries or anything like that. They needed a little bit of breathing support. Um, but the main thing was just time and trying to get them up to a size that was um, big enough for them to come home. Um, so after eight weeks, they came home. Um, and then just after eight days, Pippa just suddenly turned really poorly. Um, so we took her straight back to hospital where she was uh, taken into A&E. Um, no one knew what was wrong with her. She, she was, her breathing was really shallow. Um, she looked incredibly pale. Uh, it, it, 
it took I, I don't know quite how many people were in that room at the time but they, they just they just came from nowhere there were so many people working on it um it just looked completely lifeless and we were, we were so worried um took them a while to stabilize her and then they readmitted her to the neonatal unit um uh, where she'd spend another 10 weeks um those 10 weeks were uh, quite difficult um when they say like life's a roller coaster that time in neonatal was a roller coaster you have so many days of going up and so many days of coming down but those ups weren't particularly massive ups they were just days where we weren't having much negative news it was just pretty stable um, but the downs were, were pretty serious downs um, she had I think we counted 16 blood transfusions in 10 weeks um, countless other products of blood blood products I should say um, so many different medications and she picked up a couple of infections along the way um, but because of her size there wasn't really much we could do other than just wait and see what would happen. She needed a liver transplant because she only weighed uh, 1.62 kilos when she was readmitted. Um, they wouldn't consider a liver transplant until she was at least four kilos. So we knew we just had to wait. And um, when we were told that it was going to be about four kilos till they would consider it, we knew it was going to be a long journey. Um, and it's just, uh, yeah, th those 10 weeks are probably the hardest 10 weeks we've mm -hmm. had, just not knowing what was going to happen. Um, but then, this is sort of around the Christmas Christmas period, we were really, really struggling. Um, Hannah's uncle passed away uh, a few weeks before Christmas that year. Um, and everything just felt like it was just piling up on top of each other. It was, it was getting really, really hard for us to try and cope, especially Hannah. She took Tony's death quite, quite hard. Um, Tony was like a legend in the family. He's like this aura of invincibility. Um, nothing could harm Tony. He fought cancer three times, and he just seemed like nothing, nothing could stop him. So when it did, it just, it just felt, it just felt horrible. Um, and then we had all that going on with Pippa in the hospital. It just, it was just everything just piling up on top. Um, it was only really then that um, the guys in the neonatal unit could see that Hannah particularly was struggling, and we were offered some counselling on the ward. Um, uh, don't really know much of what went on then. It just, it just all seemed very blurry. Really hard to describe what was being said on those days. Everything was just really the best word to describe that would be fuzzy. Um, really hard to remember any full conversations. Everything just seemed to be... Everything was so pressured. Really hard to keep track of what was going on with and everything that's going on outside of the hospital. Um, so we were we were offered some respite to go to Martin House for, for Christmas that year, but we decided that we wanted to try and keep um, Christmas as normal as possible for everyone. Um, being in a, a hospice surrounded by other families just wouldn't be normal for everyone. Because um, she was four, it would probably be the first Christmas that she would really remember. So we, we wanted to try and keep it as normal as possible for us. So we decided against the respite and tried to just juggle everything as, as normal. Um, so Christmas came and went and just 
just after Christmas, there was just one day where I was off work. Um, Evelyn was off school, obviously, and we just decided that that day was going to be a day where we would have no interruption. No one would have to rush off to work or to go get Evelyn from school. Evelyn was at her grandparents. Um, there'd be no reason for either of us to have to dart off somewhere and do something different. So that day we planned to spend the entire day and night beside Pippa. Um, and when we got to the hospital, we could see Pippa wasn't quite well. Um, she seemed really um, agitated, I guess you'd say. Um, really unsettled. Um, the nurse was with her constantly, just trying to try and keep her calm and just try and settle things down. Um, then over the course of the next few hours, that situation just became worse and worse and she was just deteriorating really quickly. Um, you know, and over the course of, it must have been about five or six hours, she went from looking unsettled and agitated to looking just incredibly boring. Um, and then we were, um, there were so many people in the room at the time. Um, Penny was still with us and she was, she was getting changed by Hannah at the time and she's, she's screaming, kicking off and voices are raised trying to keep Pippa calm and trying, and trying to stabilise her and um, the consultant came in and basically just told us that um, Pippa's treatment had stopped working and she's, she's not going to survive and you know, we have to make a decision but we didn't really know what the decision was because it sounded like already made up she wouldn't survive so um we um that's on the 28th of december um on the 29th we were just sort of just sat around in a room just just as a family my mum and her partner came hannah's parents were with us my sister was there um some of the neonatal nurses came up from the war to see Pippa to say goodbye to her um, and then we went to um, Martin House the morning after. Um, but before that, we had to um, say goodbye. That explains to Evelyn that we had to say goodbye to her sister. Um, that in itself, trying to explain to a four-year-old what we were about to do, was, sounds ridiculous that we have to tell a four-year-old that her sister's going to die, but we'd included Evelyn all, all the way through this. She knew that her sister was really poorly um, and we wanted to try and be open and honest with Evelyn. She might not quite understand it at that age, but when she grows up, she, she'll understand why we said it and, and what it really meant. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we took her to, took Pippa to Martin House. Um, the family were there when, when me and Pippa arrived in the ambulance and everyone got one last hold of her before they took her off her um, support. Then she passed uh, passed away in our arms after about 90 minutes just putting up one last fight um, and just passed away in our arms surrounded by her family and, and uh, her sisters. That's and I think she was really. about four and a half months old at that point, is that right? She, yeah, she was four and a half months, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for going over what I'm sure is an incredibly painful story, Ian. And I think one thing that perhaps sets your story apart from other people's is that it wasn't just it wasn't just a, a moment where you found out she was going to die or she died you had this whole roller coaster as you described it probably not just even from when the twins were born but before that going back to I mean I guess back to the very beginning when 
um because having twins by itself you know is is no mean feat so going back to when you found out that hannah was pregnant with twins how did you feel at that point (laughs) um i can remember we were sat um, in this waiting room at st james's and we both we both sat there in like stunned silence for so long just couldn't believe it was happening and then um i i remember phoning my mum and we were still in this waiting room we were there for quite a while i remember phoning my mum and um saying oh we've, we've got some news for you and I, I think she could tell i had a bit of a smoke on my face and she just said you're having twins aren't you um and it took quite a while to get my head around the fact that we were having twins um just just everything that came with it just we 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 had Evelyn, but we had a cot. We had everything that we needed for, for one baby. So everything was planned just to have one. So then all those plans just go straight out the window when you find out you're having two. And, um, it, took a, it took a little while to get our heads around it. But the feeling of having twins is very special. Um, and it, that's, that's what hurts me now, actually, just the feeling that we had that. And now it's something we can't, we don't have, but we, we can't have now. Um, but yeah, the, that feeling. Once you've got over the initial shock, the feeling is just—it was amazing. It was so. Mm-hmm. Evelyn was so happy. We've got a video of the moment we told her that um, she was going to get two baby sisters. It's the sweetest little video in the world. And Evelyn gets upset at one point because <laughs> she. Um, we were trying to tell her when the birthday was going to be, and she found out that her birthday was going to be after the twins' birthday. She she fell apart, she got so upset that the twins were going to be born before her birthday. Her birthday was going to be forgotten, it was so funny. Oh, and you said um, Hannah had a complicated pregnancy. Um, So were, and obviously the twins were premature, was that a sort of planned decision to have them at that time or or were there sort of other complications and factors leading into that? Um, I think it might have been about 18 weeks maybe 20 weeks when we had the scan that um pippa was falling behind penny in terms of growth um and they were they were real concerned at 20 weeks yeah, it was 20 weeks so real concerned at 20 weeks that pippa was going to have a real struggle here and she might not even make it to to be born um so with that hannah was um, monitored so closely and they, they did such an amazing job um, she was scanned 33 times in, in those 30 weeks um, just checking the blood flow to, to both twins it was Pippa's blood flow that was the, uh, the concern, sometimes it was in reverse sometimes it, there was no flow at all um, but they, they talked about getting her to a, a viable weight which is what they considered 500 grams and um, once she was at 500 grams they they would consider that a viable um, way to survive. So they wanted to get her to that way before they would intervene. Um, and then after that, they would deliver and they, they thought that would be the best chance that mm-hmm. she would have. So Hannah, over the next 10 weeks after that, was, was scanned so many times. Um, uh, and there was just a decision made at, I think it might have been about 28 weeks uh, and then from that point, she was scanned daily, um, even over the weekends. Um, and they said that once Pippa is 
Pippa's blood flow looks inconsistent um, consistently, if that makes sense. Um, they would make the decision to deliver. Um, and that happened on exactly 30 weeks. They decided that we have to deliver now. Um, Pippa's weight was okay. Um, and he, the, the obstetrician phoned upstairs and said um, uh, to see if there was any space for the twins to be delivered, and there wasn't. So he sent us on our way. Um, I remember it was it was when, it was when Game of Thrones was on. It was se- season seven of Game of Thrones because we came back from the hospital, watched a, an episode of Game of Thrones, and I went off to work. And I'd been at work for about thirty minutes, and Hannah phoned me up and just said. Um, He's just phoned back. There's space. There's space in Sheffield. We have to go there tonight. They're going to deliver the babies tomorrow. So they were born the following day in, in Sheffield. Gosh. So you've. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for you both, knowing that. I guess there might be issues with with Pippa's development, but also Penny's development, and making sure that you know she gets the best chance. Both of them get the best chance of life, and. And I guess having to to go through that day after day, week after week, kind of holding on up to that point, it must have been incredibly stressful even before that birth. Then they were born and then I guess they were spent quite a bit of time in the neonatal unit. Was it in Sheffield? Yeah. um, The team in Sheffield were absolutely amazing. Um, I can remember just... The moment they were born, I was sat with Hannah, and we we, we we couldn't hear them cry, and we were both looking at each other, thinking the worst. And then we heard this noise that sounded like like one little cry, and we both our eyes lit up. Uh, and then I got a tap on the shoulder and said, do to come through? And I went through to this room, and there were so many people in there, and I was stood between these two these two tables with them both in these little plastic bags, and they're trying to put tubes up their noses, but because they're so small, they're, trying to, they're, they're struggling to do that for them. And it's it was it felt like the moment they were they were stabilising them to the point that they got them into the neonatal ward and into the incubators. It felt like that was hours. Um, and then I I was told you know let us let us sort these these girls out and then you can come back later on go go back to see Hannah. So they led me back through and it, it felt like I'd been stood there for so long. But then. When I went back through, I went back into the operating theatre and Hannah's still being stitched up. And I'm like, how how long does this take? Um, so she went off into recovery and I was like, what time is it? And I've looked at my watch and it's like 20 minutes. Um, and just because of Hannah's time for recovery, she couldn't get to see the girls for about eight hours after that. So I was running backwards and forwards to the ward, just taking pictures for her, running backwards upstairs and just showing her these little pictures of, of the girls and letting her know how, how the condition was. And mm-hmm. they were actually okay. They were they were on CPAP at that point. Um, and they weren't in, considering the size, they weren't in too bad of condition. They were actually okay. They were going to need a lot of support, which is what they said straight away. But um, they weren't incredibly poorly, if that makes sense. They were very, very small, but they just weren't incredibly poorly. They were okay. And what was Pippa like as a baby? Um, in the early days, like the first few days in the incubators, she was by far the feisty one. She was the one who would kick and scream and just, if you want to go near her, she would, she'd just throw her arms and legs everywhere. Whereas Penny was the calmer one. But 
then as time went on, Pippa just became the more mellow one, and I don't know whether that was because she was unwell or anything, but she just seemed calmer. Um, Penny is... Um, Penny now is fierce, and she is... It's terrifying how fierce and she is at two years old, because when we consider what Evelyn was like at two years old, Penny is... She's, there's just something about her that's just so bright and I don't know, I don't want to say magical, but she's just so alert and to everything. Um, and that, that, because they're identical, I like, I like that because it, it makes me think of how Pippa would be and um, whether Pippa would still be the, the mellow one looking at her sister and thinking, just, just calm down. There's no need to be like, just calm down. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah, she, but the time we had it, she was, she was definitely the, the, the more mellow twin. And so you finally got them home after, what, eight weeks or so. Yeah. Did you relax at that point and think, okay, we're going to be okay. We're, we're a family now. We're home. Yeah, it was, their discharge was, um, I don't want to say a mess because they, they, they were just sort of handling the situation that there was on the unit at the time, but they were, they were due to be discharged at the same time. Um, so Hannah and I knew they were, Penny was ready to, ready to come home, but Pippa just needed a little bit more time. They wanted to get her to, uh, 1.4 kilos before they would be comfortable to discharge it. Uh, so it was a Friday when Penny came home. Um, and I remember as we'd, we'd been to the hospital and then we, uh, we came home and we were just doing the finishing touches to the nursery. We were just doing a bit of painting. Um, and then the phone rang and it was, it was an innate unit saying, before you get Penny, she can come home now. We were just like, what? We're, we're, really? Why? Why now? Why? It just all happened very, very quickly. Um, so she came home. We had the weekend at home with her, but still obviously popping back to see Pippa. And I think it was the, it was the Tuesday after that, I think Pippa came home. And I just remember that feeling of walking through the door with both car seats, putting them in the living room and getting them out and just laying them together on the blanket on the floor and the, the, the cat that we've got just came in and flopped down next to him, it just felt like everything was done we were completed, we'd gone through this horrible journey of me and Ail just waiting to come home with our babies and we, we'd finally made it and we thought that that was, that was it and it was the best feeling you could imagine to go through that journey to then be home with these two incredibly small babies who've come through so much at that point. Um, to then be home, it was amazing. It was such a lovely feeling to have all of my all of my girls in the same room together. And sadly, I think eight days later, unfortunately, Pippa got sick again and then was readmitted to hospital where she stayed pretty much up until near the end. But I think you said that um, for, I guess, her her final few hours or a day, I'm not sure how long, um, she was taken to Martin House Hospice. Could you yeah. maybe talk a bit about what Martin House is and, and the sort of care they provided for you as a family? Yeah. Um, it's um, Martin House is probably the most amazing place in the world, um, which sounds really strange, but it's... it's it's somewhere where 
we took our daughter to die, basically. But what they do and what they gave us and Pippa was just the most amazing. Um, it, it, it was there was so much love and dignity and um, patience and everything. There was so much they gave us. Um, while we were still at the hospital deciding what we were going to do with Pippa, whether she was going to stay at the hospital or whether we would go to the hospice, we met someone from the palliative care team from Martin House. She came to see us and told us what what would happen at the hospice, um, the, the care that they would give Pippa, but also the care that they would give us. I think at that point, because we'd, we'd spent probably just over 24 hours knowing that Pippa was about to die and sort of trying to stew that and think what, what happens next. Um, I think that at that point, Hannah and I both knew that we would need some help. We would need some support to try and get through this. And we were told that Martin House would give us give us bereavement care. They would also give Evelyn some sibling care, so she'd go off in groups with other siblings who would who had also lost a brother or a sister. Um, and then the, the care would also move to our, our parents as well, so grandparent care. So they would be invited to groups to be around other grandparents who've lost grandchildren. So the, 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 it was a much... Um, uh, more... Trying to think of a way to describe it, it felt like the care that we were going to, going to get from Martin House was going to be better than what we'd probably get from the hospital. Um, Hannah and I both agreed that all we wanted for, for Pippa was just some peace, um, because being hooked up to machines twenty-four hours a day, having people prodding at you, she had so many heel pricks, and I, I don't know like, how, how you enjoy having a, a heel prick test done three or four times a day for 10 weeks. It's just, it's just not nice. Um, so we just said she'd suffered enough. So whatever whatever we do with her, we do for her, just had to be peaceful. Um, and Martin House just ticked all those boxes for us. They said that this would happen. Um, and we just went we just went with it. And they arranged everything for us. Um, we, we went on, uh, we went in the ambulance, just me and Pippa, and I, thought about um, thought about what we'd do at the house like what what we'd do our family were going to be there waiting for it um, and I wanted all the family to have one last chance to say goodbye to her last one last chance to hold her um, so we arranged for Pippa to be passed to each member of the family in a chair so they all had time with her while she had a breathing support still on her um, and then after everyone had had a moment with her she was uh, Pastor Hannah and me on the bed, and we just sat with her um, for, like I said, for about ninety minutes. Um, and she just—it's that's probably the hardest part for me. It's just knowing that I'm, my daughter is in my arms, and over, over however long it's going to be. I think we knew at that point it wasn't going to be long because we knew that she needed so much support, and we'd, we'd taken that away from her. We knew that that was going to be. It was going to be over pretty quick. I think that's what we thought. And I think there was a couple of moments where you know, I said that she she just had one last crack at life. There were a couple of moments where we were sort of sat there and she just seemed really quiet and really peaceful. We thought that this was the end and she'd just perk up a little bit more and 
she just carried on fighting for so long. I, I remember just saying to her that it, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't okay at all, but um, just remember trying to keep her calm and stroking her head. And just, just everyone around us knew at that point that that was we were we were watching our our daughter slowly fade away. She, yeah, she put up a fight for about ninety minutes, and then she was she she sat in her arms, passed away with Evelyn on one side, Penny on the other side, and um, sounds really strange to describe that moment as beautiful, but I wouldn't have wanted that moment to be any different because it was just to talk about my daughter dying is hard enough, but I, to describe the end of her life as beautiful. So it sounds really, it feels really strange for me to describe that, but I, I couldn't have wanted it any other way for her. Everyone who loved her the most were around her at that time and spent those last moments with her. I couldn't have asked for any more for her. Um, and my house just did everything for us at that point. And Hannah, I remember Hannah just after everyone had gone home, um, so it was a short while after Pippa had died, Hannah wanted to bath her. And I remember sitting in the room thinking, I, I couldn't get my head around it. But Hannah's logic was that the only baths that Pippa had were when she was hooked up to a machine and she had breathing support on or she had some something being pumped into her, some part of her body. But this was going to be her first bath that she would be completely wire-free, tube-free. Um, and Hannah asked, Hannah mentioned that to the staff at Martin House and with, like, out of nowhere this bath appeared and it was just there and they rushed off and just did everything for us and we spent about four days thereafter um, we were never rushed we always had staff coming to see us Evelyn had so much support in being taken off to do activities um, there was loads of memory making done they started funeral arrangements and contacted the GP they did so much for us in that short space of time um, and I remember it was, it was the 30th of December when she died. And I, remember, I always, I work in hospitality, so I always work over New Year. And I always, I've always said for years and years and years, I'd love to have a New Year's off. And I had that New Year's off. And on that New Year's Eve, we were all in bed by about nine o'clock, I think. And there's people downstairs in the rest of the hospital all sort of bringing in the New Year. Um, Hannah and all the girls went to sleep and I was just sat there and I remember going downstairs it was about 10 to midnight and uh, one of the staff saw me and I, I said can I go down to the cold room to be with Pippa and I remember sitting with Pippa to, to midnight and I, we were playing music I was singing to her but it, in the, these cold rooms of freeze I just remember having a winter coat on sat next to her and just singing songs, shivering, and I spent about 20, 25 minutes in there with her, and then, and then went to bed. But then, uh, since then, I've, I, I always want to work New Year's now. I never want a New Year's off again because, you know, I'll just sit there and think about that moment. Um, but any time that we would want to go to that room, they'd jump up and they'd take us down there, and they'd, they'd just do anything and everything for us. I cannot have enough good words for that place. They are the most amazing bunch of people. Um, yeah, just the most mm -hmm. amazing place in the world. It definitely sounds like 
they helped to make an unbearable experience just perhaps a slightly bit more bearable yeah in what they did so just moving on now to talk i guess about a bit about grief and your experience of grief and particularly how do you feel that you grieved perhaps in the same way as hannah but also maybe in a in a different way did you did you feel like your grief journeys were on different tracks some of the time um i'd say me and hannah have grieved differently most of the way through it to be honest um hannah is incredibly strong um we both recognize when each other are having a bad day we have bad days all the time and we don't have to tell each other we're having bad days we just recognize we're both having off days um for me i generally if i'm having a bad day I'll normally find myself sat in the corner in the living room we have with Clippers Box and I'll be sat there just next to her. Um, Pretty quiet, sometimes a bit teary. Hannah will not, she won't be, she won't act like that. She'll she'll just become very quiet and a little bit withdrawn and I'll recognise that she's not herself and she's not playing with Evelyn and Penny as much. She's really quiet and I can tell that she's off it and we just, we don't ask each other if we're okay, because we know we're not. But we just sort of, we both sort of take the reins and take over the bits that we're missing. So if I see that Hannah's, Hannah's struggling a little bit, I'll jump in and I'll sort the kids out and I'll, I'll bath them both. I'll take them both to bed. I'll read best bedtime stories to them both. I'll do all, all the duties that I would, we would normally share. And the same thing would happen if I was in a, a bit of a rut. Hannah would do all the things I would do. Um, it just just seems to be able to connect very well and recognise that we're having a crap day. Um, Hannah will sometimes try and push through it a little bit, which I'd probably say isn't the right thing to do. But she tries to ride it out the best she can, to the point where sometimes she just gets really upset and she'll have a bad day. And it's quite really a bad day. Whereas me, I... Um, we had, this is completely, uh, not mentioned yet. Hannah miscarried 12 months before people was readmitted. And I, I tried to take that in my stride and just tried to crack on with that. And I fell apart about probably about a month later. I tried to bottle it all up being there. I'm okay. I'll be fine. Everyone else. Okay. That's, that's what my job. I was just trying to make sure everyone else was okay. And I learned the hard way because about a month later, I really had a really tough time. So. After we lost Pippa, I realised that that was a completely wrong way to, to react, to try and make sure everyone else is okay. I need to look after myself. and I'm not afraid to cry. I'm not afraid to get upset anymore. I think it's, it's good to have a good cry, um, to lay it all out, because bottling things up just isn't good for you at all. Um, so, yeah, my my reads a little bit more obvious than Hannah's, I would say. Um, but we both know how to support each other, just how to recognise it quite easily. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that, and I, I didn't realise that you'd had suffered a miscarriage as well, that perhaps that earlier loss had in some way prepared you for this later loss in terms of how you grieve and how you go about doing yeah. that. And did you feel any... I don't know, I guess any expectations from anyone, from society, from people you knew, 
about how you should grieve being a dad rather than a mum? Um, I had no expectation, to be honest. Um, it was, um, I don't know, it's, it, it, I've, to this day, there's not been any support offered to us, either of us, from, um, from a GP or, or anyone like that. But with Martin, Martin House gave us some bereavement counselling and that, that helped us totally. I, I really worry where we'd both be without that support we had. Um, in terms of being a dad, I try and talk about this quite a lot. Uh, I feel quite passionate about it that dads are sometimes overlooked in terms of grief or when times are tough. Um, going back just on the neonatal journey, you know, when you've got a certain amount of paternity leave to take before I have to go back to work and still got a house to pay for, I've still got bills to pay and mouths to feed, so I've still got to earn money. Um, so you're still dealing with the same situation you're in on paternity leave, but you've still got the added work, added stress of work on top of that. Um, and that goes through to bereavement as well. So returning to work after you've lost your child, quite possibly the worst thing I think a human can go through, having to go back to work and get back to a bit of normality is incredibly tough. And employers don't really recognise or know how to understand deal with their employees um, after such a thing has happened um, and there is very little support for the dads just, I think it's just that um, that stigma I guess like with, with men we can crack on and just get on with it and you know we'll be alright that sort of thing but you know everyone grieves it's not, not a, a mum thing or, or a dad thing it's everyone yeah, and I do feel, and I feel that this is, I guess it's one of those conversations which, you know, everyone needs to be more aware of and more open about. Um, and, you know, I guess baby loss is one form of grief, but, you know, there are other forms of grief and that kind of, I don't know, we've, I guess we've got that bit of a, a sort of British stiff upper lip as well, Yeah. which I've, I think sometimes, and obviously it very much depends on the individual, but I feel sometimes that perhaps men feel that a bit more than women, that they're, you know, supposed to be the the provider, the one who says, you know, who stays strong and, and keeps on going, um, which is why I'm really glad that you said, you know, that you felt it's really helpful to cry and helpful to to kind of grieve and yeah and that that's helped you through <laughs> okay so I'd just like to now talk a bit about Pippa's legacy and how you remember her as a family as well as some of the things which you've done in her memory um I imagine the fact that she passed away at the end of December makes Christmas a particularly difficult time of year for you guys and you know I'd also just like to to remind people who are listening that this you know was only less than two years ago so it's still really recent and it must be very raw for you how how do you go about approaching Christmas with Evelyn with Penny as a family um it's the same as any any anniversary so it might be a birthday or Christmas or whatever the anniversary date would be, we're trying to approach them both just all, all the same, quite delicately, 
we try not to do too much and push ourselves too much. Um, last Christmas was was the first Christmas without her. It was really tough, especially since you know we've got presents under the tree for two girls, not three girls, and there's always that. Um, it's every day as well. Every day when you see Penny doing something new, it, it just comes flooding back that it would be amazing to have Pippa. It should Pippa should be there next to her doing exactly the same, learning the same things, doing the same things. Um, but we decided last Christmas that we wanted to include her in, in everything, uh, and we do that. So Hannah was a real bit of a weirdo. She, she loves Christmas so much and she'll buy Christmas decorations all year round. Um, but it's kind of sweet now, I guess, because when she's buying things, it's not just because she loves Christmas, it's because there's a part of our Christmas tree that's just for Pippa. Um, so there's, there's loads of little decorations that we made at Martin House. It was just after Christmas time, so they made us some, or we made some, um, some little baubles, which are got like a little snow landscape design on them and everyone's fingerprint made a snowman on them so you've got my fingerprints on them and everyone's fingerprints sort of around the, around the bauble including Pippa's um, so they're hung on the tree we just we went to York a few weeks ago and uh, the Christmas shop but if you've ever been there's a Christmas shop right in the mm-hmm. centre of York it is the most ridiculous shop in the world in my eyes but Hannah just goes in there with these wide eyes and there's um this room is just full of cuckoo clocks. So we took Evelyn in and she, her mind was blown. Um, but on the way down, we saw these little, um, these little birds that you could pin inside the tree. Uh, and there's a little bird that we've, we've got off of, uh, Evelyn picked actually, which is this cute little bird with pink and purple feathers. Um, and we often talk about Pippa as, um, our little bird that flew away. Um, so it just seemed perfect. And, and when the twins were born, they had one had a pink blanket, one had a purple blanket. So they're the colours that we we assigned to our twins to, to tell the difference at first. Um, so everything now is pink and purple. And when Evelyn picked up that bird, we just knew that was that was right. So this year, Evelyn's going to hang or clip this little bird into the into the tree now. So there's over over the years that area of the tree will just develop and she'll be included in Christmas. She might not have the presents under the tree, but She'll be included in there in any way that we can, and we'll try and do that with everything. Whether it's Penny's birthday, we have um, a really—it's a really strange day on the birthday. Um, really hard to—it's really hard to describe. I always do say bittersweet, but um, having. Penny there, you know, we've got to be so happy and remember that Penny was super tiny as well and she's amazing and she's she's still with us. Um, but then just out of nowhere it just comes flooding back that we don't have Pippa anymore. Um, so we try and we, we, we go out and we try and have a nice day with a family, we try and get some fresh air, we go do an activity somewhere and then in the evening we come back um, and we light a candle, we have some cake in the corner with Pippa, and this year was, was particularly funny at one point, Evelyn's singing happy birthday to Pippa, 
holding this little cupcake with a candle in it. And as she's singing happy birthday to her, as she's <laughs> trying to say birthday quite loud, she just blows out the candle halfway through. And we, all, we all just start rolling around the living room, <laughs> laughing our heads out. It was such a <laughs> really sad moment, but Evelyn nailed it at that point. It just turned that really sad feeling into a really happy, joyous one, um, which I'm so glad for because I felt I felt awful going into that. Um, but Evelyn can save the day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we try and we try and include it as much as we can in any um, anniversary day or any situation that we're in. We try and keep it included and always in our minds. And you've set up a charity named Pipsqueaks. Can you tell us a bit about why you set it up and what you're aiming to achieve with it? So <laughs> Pipsqueaks is. Pipsqueak was the nickname we gave Pippa the day she was born. She was our little Pipsqueak. Um, it just stuck forever. She was Pipsqueak. Everyone called her Pipsqueak. How's Pipsqueak doing? Um, so we we decided after Pippa had died that, this is Hannah and I, we decided that we wanted to have, her life had to become something other than a loss. We couldn't sit on it and we couldn't just, we couldn't just take it on the chin. We had to do something. Um, and we decided that the promise we made to her that her life will make a positive difference to others. That's what we said. Um, and we decided we were going to go on a, a massive fundraising mission in what, last year. Um, and we we did all sorts of things. We did the Yorkshire Three Peaks. There's 20, there's 21 of us did that. We did a huge raffle a big fundraising sort of community day um there was live music there was magicians there was all sorts of stuff going on for kids um and by the end of that we'd raised sixteen and a half thousand pounds um which was for leeds cares which is a charity that looks after the leeds hospitals um and they funnel the money to which area in the hospital that you wanted so we decided we wanted to give that money to the neonatal units um and with that money they funded uh, the refurbishment of two bedrooms at St. James Hospital um, so parents can room in with their babies before going home. We never actually stayed in those rooms when we were on the hospital, but we saw them and they were they were really old, really dated and definitely needed um, a refresh. Um, and we went to open them a few months ago and we're actually really jealous of how good they look because they look so much better than our own bedrooms. Um, it's just amazing knowing that that money that we raise has gone to do so good, some good for, for other families. Knowing right now that there's other families at the hospital benefiting from, from Pippa, not just from us, we did this for Pippa. Um, uh, so after we raised all that money, we decided that we wanted to do something more permanent and have like a, a permanent tribute to Pippa, which is why we thought about setting up a little charity in her honour. Um, so with the charity, the aim is to support neonatal units and the families on those units um, in the Yorkshire region. Um, so we spent most of this year fundraising um, to produce some care packages. So these care packages have been designed so beautifully by um, the dad of another girl at Evelyn School. He's done such an amazing job. Um, there's a 
daily journal that's been designed and it's got enough pages in there to last you, I think it's eight weeks. Um, and in that, uh, on those pages, you can write down your thoughts for the day, any questions you might have for the nurse. We, we, we basically based it on what we were missing from the neonatal unit when we spent so much time on there. And there were so many questions that we, we thought about. And then when the time had come when the nurses or the doctors were around, we'd totally forgotten. And then we'd remember later on down the line that we're supposed to ask that question. So that's why it's really important to write down those questions. Never forget what you need to ask. Um, there's a bit about uh, a nurse. After after we spent all that time on the hospitals, we tried to make a list of all the nurses that we've come across in those four and a half months. And there were so many, but we know there were so many that we couldn't remember the names of. So I think it's really important. Write your nurse's name down. Um, that nurse might tell you something that you might need to, you might think of later down the line. It might be important for another nurse, you know, or you might have been told. Um, there's a bit about, I love this bit, about, it's like a mood board, and it's for mummy and daddy, or mummy and mummy, or daddy and daddy. And it's basically little emojis showing you how you feel on that particular day, whether you're feeling quite happy or really sad, really anxious. And you just circle it every day, and just gives you a, or gives a nurse or whoever's coming to look at that book or at that bedside an idea of how you're feeling at that time without having to ask that question. Um, so they're, they're included in the box. There's some milestone cards. There's toiletries that are aimed at parents who had to be rushed into hospital and have got nothing with them. Um, there's some mental health sign, signposting. Trying to include some vouchers to try and encourage parents to get off the ward. Um, it took us a little while to try and get outside and have some fresh air, but God, it does the world a difference, just getting some fresh air in your lungs. Um, yeah, so they're, they're, that's what we've been fundraising for to start with. So they'll be given to parents who've got um, quite a long stay in hospital. So we've said around the baby born around 32 weeks or less. Um, they'll be offered to parents and hopefully along the way we'll start putting in sibling packs. So Evelyn would have these sort of packs given to her. So she'd have some activities and a few little things in there to explain what was happening with her, her brother or sister. Um, so that's the idea. Um, it's only it's in its early days at the moment, so there's a long way to go, but everything that we've got through it so far is just so beautiful. I just can't wait to actually start giving them out at the hospitals. We make such a difference to those parents. I'm sure there'll be lots of lots of parents who benefit from that and benefit from Pippa's legacy. I also noticed that you're on a slightly different tack. You're on the parent advisory group for the National Bereavement Care Pathway. Um, and this is something, it's an NHS initiative, I think, but it's something I've only really become aware of recently. So could you just finish by telling us a bit about what it is and how you've been involved in it? Um, so it's a... Um, it's a toolkit for any hospital trust in the in England and Scotland at the moment, I think it is, um, to, to you sign up to it, uh, and it's basically to improve bereavement care um, across the NHS so that it's not inconsistent like it is now. You could literally go from one hospital on the M1 just off the M1, you go to one hospital and get the most amazing care. You go to the next junction, to the next hospital, and that care is nowhere near as good, which is really unfair. So at the moment, it is 
a postcode lottery depending on the type of care that you receive after your baby's died. Um, but it's it doesn't just focus on a specific type of baby loss, it's miscarriage right up to neonatal death or sudies. Um, it encompasses so much. It's all these nine different um, focus points of what, what good bereavement care looks like, a bit of memory making, what 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 every parent should basically get following the loss of the baby. Um, but it's very, it's very parent-led. So all the initiatives, all the little bits added to it have all been run through parents like myself to help develop um, this workshop and these tools for hospitals to get on board with to improve the bereavement care in their hospitals. Um, um, this all came about in about, I think it was about March last year, um, I saw a post on Facebook and it was, I think it was Bliss who shared it. So it's all, there's lots of different baby charities that are included in this. Sands are the ones leading it. Um, but Bliss shared this post and they were looking for um, parent voices um, to be included, to try and help share their own journeys and try and help develop this, this bereavement care. Um, so because of our experiences, I didn't touch on it earlier. Um, the way in which the news was delivered to us with, when people wasn't going to survive wasn't, wasn't handled very well. Um, so I wanted to try and get involved in this, try and ensure it doesn't happen again. Um, and the more I learned about what this National Bereavement Care Pathway was, the more empowered I was to, to work with it. I wanted to be really involved with it because I thought that my voice and Pippa's journey can make a massive difference to these healthcare professionals. So I've, I've spoken at um, four, possibly four workshops um, where they're attended by people who are already on board with the National Bereavement Care Pathway or they're thinking about it because they want to find out a little bit more about it. Um, so I share Pippa's journey and get involved in some of the activities that happen on the day to try and share sort of my experiences to help them um, uh, improve the care in their hospitals. Um, I'm actually speaking tomorrow in Durham, yeah, another one. Um, and I was at the Transforming Loss Conference last week, um, which was hosted by Bliss Sands and the Royal College of Midwives. That was um, that was pretty nerve-wracking. There was about 300 people there, I think. Um, but because of what I've done with the National Bereavement Care Pathway, I know how important it is for parents like me, like Hannah, like so many other parents that we've spoken to and know through baby loss, know how important it is for us to talk about our loss to try and improve the bereavement care that everyone gets. Because, like I said, it's so unfair that some parents will get the most amazing care, but some will just get absolutely terrible care yeah I agree and yeah and thank you for for doing that work and I guess being that voice of all parents who've suffered a loss and and especially those parents who um, perhaps haven't received the care and support that that they needed and that they deserve um, so thank you, Ian. I really appreciate you coming on to share Pippa's story and talking with me today. 
Finally, would you just like to tell people where they can find out more about Pipsqueaks and get in touch with you online? Sure. Um, so uh, the, the website for Pipsqueaks is just www.pipsqueakscharity.com. Um, just a little bit about who we are, what we do. Pippa's full journey is on there. There's loads of little lovely pictures. Um, over time, that site will just get developed. So we're hoping to have a... Um, an old school type message board on there. So parents who were on the unit at that time who were unsure of anything or want to ask a question can just jump on that board and hope to build this network of parents who've been through baby loss who may be able to answer a question and maybe have some healthcare professionals who might want to jump on and give us a sort of helping hand and give us some sort of advice or little tips of how to get through that neonatal journey. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just type in Pipsqueaks Charity and it'll come up. Uh, and our blog is uh, Twin Chips, so T-W-I-N-C-H-E-T-T-S. If you search for any of them on, on social media, we'll come up and you'll get to see our lovely photos of her and our journey through our life after loss now. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>